Pension Inspection presents Kissing Concrete. This is MJ. I'm an author, I'm an artist, I'm an analyzer. Find all my work at mjmunoz.com. Welcome to Kissing Concrete. Visit mjmunoz.com slash KC for notes and links, and don't forget to subscribe. Like, share, and comment to help me grow. So I'm talking about Kissing Con- or <laughs> Concrete Revolution, episode five, which is entitled, hold on, hold on, I have it here, Japan Beast History Part 2. It originally aired November 1st, 2015, and the writer is Sho Aikawa. The director was Tomoyuki Kurokawa. And uh, I want to talk about, well, lots of different things. So first I'm going to go ahead and talk about the stuff I didn't like, uh, and then I'll talk about the things that were very good and uh, the stuff that was really um, or I guess the, the, it's going to be the things I disliked, the things I liked, the things that I felt were deep and profound and worthy of conversation and a heavier form of analysis. So, the things I didn't like were, I felt like despite the fact that the jumping around in this episode was slightly more measured, it was still, it was less enjoyable, I guess you could say. So, the, the narrative spling, being split over periods of time is... Uh, it's going to be something I think that's going to be long-term a frustration for me. I kind of hope they drop it in the second season. I don't think they will. However, I think they could uh, because I think a lot of this back-and-forth type stuff, setting up this deeper, darker background for the Superhuman Bureau, uh, is going to be uh, good in season one. It's something you need to carry through the season one, especially if it's only 12 or 13 episodes. And then subsequent to that, if you're going into season two, you know the context the Superhuman Bureau is twisted and dark and a bad thing in a lot of ways. The only way I could see it working is if in season two, they add even more context into the activities of the Superhuman Bureau and make them even more gray and make it even more of a, a moral question of what's right and what's wrong and you know what do you do uh, what negative things are you willing to do for the sake of, you know, protecting people or, you know, righteousness or justice, justice or whatever? Uh, you know, it could make it more of a moral quandary. Although, I'm not sure that that's going to work for me because my morals are pretty clear. They're pretty simple. You don't uh, hurt people. You don't take their stuff. You don't defraud them and uh, fool them into becoming injured by you. Whether that's with you stealing money from them or injuring them in some way or, you know, even wasting their time and energy, uh, their money, their life force in that kind of way. That, that all causes harm to people. So uh, I don't really think you could do that to me. I don't think I could stand to watch something where people are so morally repugnant and uh, have them be cast as heroes and have me uh, stomach it or stand it or be able to uh, actually continue enjoying it. And in fact, this kind of leads into a negative thing that's that might actually be a positive, so I'll get to that. But uh, Kiko is complicit with the rest of the Superhuman Bureau in deceiving Jiro and in uh, attacking this otherwise innocent kaiju and murdering it. And yes, if it sounds like I would have been one of those college students uh, protesting in the Peace March along with Megagon, uh, you're right. I probably would have been if I were in this world and in this sort of situation because... Uh, a lot of the things that they were saying rang true to me, and that's really interesting. These anti-war, anti-imperialist, anti-pro-peace uh, like people uh, are the villains of the show? <laughs> They're the youth of Japan who is protesting against the acti activities of the Superhuman Bureau, and things are so real politique in the show that 
Jaguar, Dr. Jaguar, whatever his name is, Cigara, I don't know what his name is. Anyway, dude with brown hair, speed powers, uh, cool leather jacket, stripy pants. Anyway, he, uh, time and like telling the future power, I, I, don't, I don't know what his power set is, but it doesn't matter. Maybe he's so fast because he manipulates time and he can see the future because he manipulates time and that's what all his power is based in in time. Anyway, doesn't matter. Uh, seeing him and what he's able to do, no, no, no. Hearing him say that if a student dies in this protest, uh, and uh, I think maybe the older guy said this, that if they uh, fought any of the kaiju, uh, or fought the you know, Megagon here and defeated him, that it would make the Superhuman Bureau look bad and look fishy and look like they're against peace. Like, they are! They are against peace to some extent because they're manipulating things as far as I can tell with the narrative sharing with us that they have been manipulating things all along to set up kaiju. I mean, Emmy was working for the frickin' uh, Beast Radio Wave Japan guy, like, uh, or whatever it's called. Uh, which, by the way, if somebody who has a kaiju podcast doesn't use a name like that, I don't know what I'm gonna do. <laughs> they really should. I think it's such an awesome, Beastly Radio Wave. Such an awesome name. Beastly Radio Wave Japan, Beastly Radio Wave America, Beastly Radio Wave uh, whatever the Portuguese called themselves in Portugal because there's a sizable Portuguese tokusatsu community. Uh, Beastly Radio Wave Indonesia. I mean, come on, guys. You're, you're, uh, <laughs> it's ripe for the picking there. Anyway, um, and I'm not going to do it because I don't think I'm a kaiju guy, at least not yet. I, who knows? Maybe in decades I'll be super into it. But I, and I've contemplated watching Godzilla after these kaiju episodes and such, but eh, we'll see. Um, so those are my negatives. I'm getting into the positives now. And the po <laughs> one of the positives is I was complaining last week about Godzilla and how kind of short-sighted Godzilla was or the creators of Godzilla were and that they didn't cast the Americans as these terrible, uh, you know, people because the Americans just dropped the two atomic bombs on Japan and then, you know, Godzilla's a result of that or whatever and then he's attacking Japan even more. So why are they emphasizing that, you know, the sins of America's past are coming and uh, making the Japanese of today, you know, 1950s, 1954, I think was the original Godzilla. Why is that Godzilla making them suffer at that time? I, I don't know, but in this episode, they did it. They did it right. This, uh, like, Dr. Adam or Dr. I don't know what, uh, Professor so-and-so, Dr. Ultima or Professor Ultima, whatever, he's a superhero who goes through space and does whatever. He tamed or captured uh, kaiju and then turned them into uh, basically living weapons, living UAVs, you could say. This is in 2015, so we were well into the terror war, or the anti-terror war, I should say, even though it is a war of terror. And <laughs> at me, at me if you want to talk about politics and war and whatever in the American empire, I'm willing to do it. I'm, I'm still, uh, I still think I'm living in one of the greatest countries of the world that just happens to be a perpetrator of some of the greatest evils in the world. Uh, not that other countries aren't, uh, you know, very close to uh, us or, or doing a lot of evil that America does, but uh, eh, you got to take things into context. With all the power we have, you know, of whom to whom much is given, much is expected. And with everything that we have here in the States, I think a lot is expected of us, and I hold myself to a higher standard, and my government sure as hell holds me as a citizen to a very high standard as far as what I can get away with doing to other people, and yet it doesn't hold itself to that standard. But that's neither here nor there. We're talking about concrete revolution, you know, not 2021 America. So, here I go. Professor Ultima, or whatever he is, uh, brings these kaiju, they become weaponized 
things for the United States government. There, America has bases all over, like in Okinawa. I think it was o Okinawa, not Osaka, because isn't Osaka mainland? I don't know my Japanese geography. Heck, I hardly even know American geography, so don't expect me to know the Japanese. Anyway, there's this kaiju that supposedly escaped, but maybe the Americans released it. Maybe they made a deal with uh, whatever the guy's name is, the kaiju fan, in the red suit with the cool kaiju emblem on his shirt. Uh, anyway, um, it seems kind of like they leaked uh, a kaiju over to him so that he could do stuff, but then again, I'm so confused by this narrative. I don't know if it's possible that all of this is being done as a charade, a charade if you will, to pull the wool over Jiro's eyes and that maybe the Superhuman Bureau were the ones who convinced the American base uh, in Okinawa to release this kaiju. And then, But then why were the time dude and uh, Furota out there looking for it in the ocean if it wasn't real, unless it's to fool Furota, because Furota is so naive and so easy to manipulate that he could easily believe anything, and it wouldn't be a problem for him. He wouldn't pick up on the inconsistencies of what's going on, and I doubt he even cares. I think as long as he can be near Kiko, he's willing to do whatever he has to um, with the Superhuman Bureau, and this is a pivot point. It's just, it's interesting. It's engaging and drawing me in. Uh, I, I've, I watched this episode once. I've listened to it a couple more times after that. When Jiro comes back and he's ready to fight Megagon when Megagon's gone completely berserk after everything has happened and the kaiju fans keep provoking him to go on a rampage, he uh, needs a weapon and he calls to Kiko. She she, I, I think she visibly blushes unless Starchild is always blushing in her transformed form. I don't know. But she like visibly blushes and the line read from the dub actress is so desperate and so hopeful and so pathetic. He needs me. And then she goes and does the thing. And I'm not saying it's that's not a date. She did an excellent job because I think in that moment, Kiko is so desperate to have Jiro's love to have Jiro's affection, to have Jiro himself, to connect with him, to push Emmy out, I mean, to a certain extent, um, and to, but to have him, she's so forlorn, she's longing for him so desperately that she's willing to go along with this deception. She, she wants this guy so badly, she's willing to go along with the deception that is like caging him and manipulating, it's just so sick and twisted. Uh, like. The Superhuman Bureau are villains. They're evil. They're not good. Um, the, uh, ugh, the, the, like, idol agency dude in the beginning, he looks to me like one of the alien guys who went and formed, uh, like a smoke circle or whatever with the, uh, I don't know, the director or chief or whatever of the Superhuman Bureau. He looks like one of those guys to me. I'm not sure he is. And if he is, that just makes things all the more complicated. I'd have to go look back at the previous episode to see exactly who he is. But it would make sense in the context that he'd be pulled into the past of this episode, especially if he was involved in the present of the pre if he was involved in that previous episode. Anyway, I just the narrative structure uh, definitely has me engaged. Like I want to keep going. I'm with Jiro as this underdog hero who's being manipulated and. Uh, you know, treated wrongly by the Superhuman Bureau and, you know, whatever the Japanese government's, uh, you know, arm is that has all that going. Uh, but I just don't know what to do. I don't I just know what to do with all that. Um, I don't know. I mean, the show's definitely engaging. I want to know what happens. Uh, the things I'm most interested in, though, or that have the biggest draw on, on me are these questions of what exactly is a kaiju. And, you know, the nature of kaiju was something... Uh, you know, that was brought up in the previous episode, and it's something that I 
put a little bit of focus on, but not, I, I would say not terribly much. Uh, it came into much sharper relief in this episode, and I feel like I just have to talk about it more. So I have some questions I, I wrote down, and uh, these are going to be on the show notes page too if you want to see them, if you're just listening. And I'm going to uh, go ahead and read them off. I can see I need to edit my show notes. Anyway, here we go. So I'm just going to throw out a bunch of questions and then I'm going to circle back and talk about them. So, question. Is there a kaiju lurking in all of us? Is that the truth? If so, does that give us the right to destroy the kaiju of others once they have been made manifest? Should we instead be more compassionate towards those rampaging kaiju? Next, how did that kaiju end up inside of Jiro? Did Professor Hitoyoshi put it into him through his experiments? Hiteyoshi was uh, with a very buxom blonde over on some island when he encountered uh, some ancient kaiju that some tribal society had, and I wondered at the time if he picked up Jiro from that land, and if maybe some of the kaiju uh, are very connected with that indigenous people. Even though Jiro looks very white, uh, that could be from years of experimentation. Who knows what it could be? Maybe they're an island of all white people or whatever, an indigenous, uh, you know, set of people. That, that's very possible too, so I, I don't know. But uh, yeah, I guess those are my big questions. So going back to, you know, if there is a kaiju in all of us, because that's something Emmy says. She's like, as far as I'm concerned, all people are kaiju or all humans have a kaiju inside of them and I'm a yokai so it doesn't count and, you know, kaiju want the destruction of the world. I think it's something that Jiro said and it was also really sad and like, I don't know, it made me empathize towards him when he said he hates all kaiju and wants to destroy them because of his exposure to that Megagon or Megagon or whatever that was from years back, seven years ago or so in the show, uh, made him want to, um, it like unleashed something inside of him that just wanted destruction and wanted death for everything. And, you know, he didn't really understand what that was, but it made him, the fact that those feelings of negativity and wanton destruction and violence were unleashed in him made him, and maybe even the kaiju within him awakened at the time, I don't know. Um, the fact that those feelings were present in him, that they were sparked by something else, kind of involuntarily, you know, calling apart this, you know, deeper part of his nature, and that makes him hate them and want to destroy them. And he most of all wants to destroy the kaiju within, within himself, uh, but he can't, he can't ever reach it. That was a really cool line and, and a really cool idea for why he hates and wants to destroy all the external kaiju. Um, I find that really compelling, but at the same time, if there really is a kaiju in all of us, what does that mean? Uh, you know, in the world of Concrete Revolution, how does that mean people should be dealt with? Uh, Emmy uh, soothes the rage of the kaiju within uh, Jiro, and the Megagon, who was peaceful, and the little, you know, cute baby kaiju, which was uh, Gagon, right? Uh, Gagon was a peaceful kaiju. They were manipulating, uh, using his DNA and whatever to, to you know, replicate these other things and turn them into kaiju and whatnot by kind of mixing his, like fusing his DNA with, you know, ordinary creatures or whatever. <clears throat> and in so doing that, you know, the, that, and that was part of the superhuman bureau was doing that. So they were basically creating monsters for them themselves to destroy. And if they were doing that by manipulating these creatures and controlling them, then doesn't that mean that, like, how far away are they from doing that to humans, to causing humans to turn into some sort of creatures, or causing humans to turn villainous and go on rampages and need to be put down by the riot patrol of the superhumans when it's, you know, one, uh, you know, 100 humans against a superhuman, the superhuman can, you know, barely scrape, uh, you know, scrape out a victory as these, you know, mobs of evil people, these mobs of evil humans who have, for some reason, gone mad and turned against society, 
uh, you know, need to be reined in and, and you know, put into check by uh, this arm of the state, by this, you know, secret arm of the state within who are these, you know, state-supported superhumans. Like, how far does this all go? And, and isn't the root cause really the rage? There was one of the peace protesters said that all our, you know, your rage, my rage, all our rage are the kaiju, our Megagon, and, and he's going to, you know, all this rageful power in the kaiju is going to protect us. And that's just such an interesting concept. But where do you go from there? What does it mean? And doesn't it mean, and I have to go back to this, doesn't that mean that you treat the root cause and you stop the kaiju from going berserk? All those peace protesters shining the light in Megagon's eyes again and again and again, even uh, the young kid or the guy who said, uh, you know, Gagon was his little brother and then Megagon was his little brother turned into something else and then that kaiju was leading them somewhere. Maybe that kaiju was leading someone, you know, humanity somewhere. Maybe that kaiju was leading people towards compassion and, um, what's it called? <laughs> like unconditional love and understanding and like learning to, uh, like not provoke and not push people to their limits where they can't handle it. And this isn't a justification of, uh, you know, snowflakes need to have safe spaces, but if there are real people, if there are real situations where you can choose to uh, aggravate and push and push and push till somebody explodes, then you shouldn't do that. Just like you shouldn't walk up to a wild animal and then be shocked when you're mauled by it. You know, a hungry bear or a tiger or a gorilla or something like that. You can't be surprised. And, uh, <sighs> I don't know. It's just such an interesting concept. Like, if you mess with nature, uh, and if you mess with, a, a, you know, humans are part of nature, if you mess with a human and push them too far, you cannot be shocked. Or, in my opinion, it is foolish to be shocked when they turn around and snap and explode. And uh, I don't know if that's the point being made here, but it very well could be. And it's a point that I can see. And uh, at this point, I'm exhausted from talking about this. Not because I've belabored it, just because I'm putting so much energy into working through this live as I'm going through the thoughts that I just, I think I got to call it here. Uh, I'm going to suggest that you go over to mjmunios.com, look up the uh, Kissing Concrete page. This is also being shared on the uh, Henshin Inspection uh, feed, so you can check that out over there at, you know, slash HI. You'll be able to find the links for that. Um, Gosh, I don't know. If you got any questions or comments concerning this, any feedback for me, you think I'm going crazy, you want some clarification on some of the more outlandish-sounding things I said, talk to me about it. We can talk over on MeWe, over on Twitter, over in the comments section of mjmunios.com. Uh, we can do all that there. Go ahead and check that out. Check out Odyssey. I'm uh, trying to set that up as my main uh, place for posting videos and all my content, that I'm, not like text content, even though you can backup stuff there, which maybe I should just in case WordPress ever goes uh, goes to hell and uh, you know wants to boot me off for any of my stuff or you know it'll be permanent in blockchain and it won't be permanent over on WordPress so that's just a concern on its own why not have that redundancy so check it Odyssey I believe it's odyssey.com slash MJ Munoz is where you should be able to find all my stuff links will be in the show notes links will, links will be in uh, both the uh, Odyssey video or it's already there if you're, if you're there you're there or over in the uh, brand X uh, you know anti uh, free speech, pro-censorship, pro-demonetization uh, uh, video platform. It'll be over there too with links to uh, all my more permanent blockchain stuff that's supposed to protect me from uh, from things getting taken down. Um, anyway, go check out all that stuff. And uh, yeah, I, I would love to have a conversation with somebody about Concrete Revolution if you're watching it. 
uh, or if I'm inspiring you to go check it out. I think it's a really great show. It's definitely a recommend so far. Five episodes in, I just want to keep watching because there's so much interesting stuff going on. And it's a show that it's entertaining and it makes me think. And it's not like how, you know, sometimes Kamen Rider makes me think or Super Sentai or Ultraman. It's, I think it's going on an even deeper level and there's just so much more here to chew on that it's so much more enjoyable. Um, yeah. I'm going to go ahead and call it there. I'm going to ask that you remember that you don't have to shout Henshin to be a hero. And I'm going to leave you with peace and blessings. Until next time, this is MJ signing out. Equus, rear your head!